Happy Sunday, friends. It is a happy Sunday, isn't it? Gosh, you're so convincing today. Uh, you know, we're what, a week into the new year? I mean, is, are we already taking downturns? No? Still on the up? Still on the up? Raise your hand. Still on the up? Maybe raise your hand if you're not so much. Yeah. All right. All right. That's how it goes. I, I get it. That's why we're here in church, right? Because sometimes we're on the up and sometimes we're not. And it doesn't really matter if we're on the up or on our way down. Jesus is traveling with us. Amen. Why don't we join in and looking right at our scripture today, it's going to be really familiar. Genesis 1, if you've ever cracked your Bible open, you've probably come about it and it's not very long. So I encourage you, I know that the scripture is going to be up on the screens, but I'm really going to encourage you to just shut your eyes and just listen. You don't need to read along, you know this. Just listen and see if something in the words stands out to you anew. Just hear it this time like you've never heard it before. All right, we're coming in Genesis 1 and we're hopping around a little bit, 1 through 2, 26 through 28, and then verse 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Friends, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and let's pray, please. Holy God, as we approach your scripture and as we seek to know your truth, we pray that we will be met by your face, by your presence, by your spirit, and that in meeting you, we will be changed and transformed by you. We pray, God, that we will not hide behind the worries or the doubts or the fears or the things that are left undone, but that we will drop all of the things that we use to justify ourselves, all of the things we use to defend ourselves, those bars that keep space between you and us. And we pray that instead you might be the one who grabs onto us and doesn't let us go and carries us forward into a new way of being. Lord, we are imperfect people and Sometimes we don't speak all that well, and sometimes we don't listen all that well, but we know that your truth is more pervasive than any of our weaknesses. So in our weaknesses, may your truth be known. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sometimes I think it's really hard to read familiar stories in the Bible, familiar stories like this one on on creation, and truly feel their weight, 
to really be struck by their majesty and to dwell in the mystery that the authors intended when they passed this story down through the generations until it was finally written down and preserved for millennia. Many of us here have learned several renditions of this creation story over the years of Sunday school. Many of us here have heard countless sermons on what it was like for God to separate the light from the dark, to separate the water from the land, to pluck the birds out of the sky, to make unique the fish in the sea. I know that I am not the only one here who at several points in time during my life made a promise to read the Bible straight through, cover to cover, only to make it through this first chapter in Genesis before I closed the Bible. Tell me I'm not alone. I have done that many times, more than I would like to admit, which means that we have read, many of us have read this particular chapter over and over again to the point where it has become difficult for us to see it for all of its wonder. What makes it worse is that some preachers and politicians have taken up our time with arguing over the technicalities of this story, at times pitting science against faith and debating creationism over evolution from either the pulpit or the platform, as though either of those hypotheses change the truth of the story as it is written. The truth being that however creation came in to be, however the specifics happened, the truth is that God created it on purpose. Created you and me on purpose. Whatever mental gymnastics we have to do to make sense of how this miraculous thing could be true, the truth is that all of creation, including us, is the result of God's creative expression of God himself. I want you to look at me again with the scripture. You can see it on the back of your bulletins. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I know that we've read it thousands of times before, but I want you to sit with me for a moment and just imagine yourself present in that image. It's this image of a great mass with no purpose. It is an image of true chaos. It is an image of shapeless matter that appears to be even more shapeless than it is because there's no light to reflect off of edges or curves or craters. There is substance here in this image, but it isn't anything. There is water, but it is motionless. And we all know that stagnant water doesn't breed life, apart from mosquitoes, and that's not the kind of life anyone wants. There is all of this material in this moment, there is all of this depth, there's all this stuff to work with, there's all of this potential. And yet at the beginning of Genesis, all of this potential is just nothing. In my mind, I find that to be really depressing. To consider that there's all of this potential and depth and opportunity that is just sitting there shapeless and unused and untapped, it's depressing. Until we get to the part about God. 
A God that scripture says is present in that still chaos. A God who has been waiting in that darkness. A God who is eager and electric in the midst of nothingness. In fact, scripture tells us that here, God is hovering, which is an interesting word, isn't it? God isn't sitting, not waiting, not strategizing or assessing or observing. God is hovering like a hummingbird or a helicopter or a bumblebee. God is hovering, which means that in other words, God is moving at an incredible amount in order to appear very, very still. God is still at the moment of creation, but God is not motionless. For those of us here who know the rest of the story, we know that this is the calm before the storm of creation, a storm that lasted longer than that momentary burst of energy and instead continued for what scripture says are six days of God time. And on that sixth day, God decides to create a human. And our scripture says that then God said, let us make humans in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, there are a couple of things that I want us to linger on in these few verses. And the first one comes up in verse 27. When God says, so God created them in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. There are some different rules that theologian types use when they're studying the Bible, but one of the most significant rules, one of the most obvious ones, the most basic of rules, is that we need to pay attention to repetition. If the Bible is repeating something, then that means that those who are writing the scripture thinks that it's important for us to remember. They're not going to repeat it if it's not important. And in this short little verse, just verse 27 alone, two phrases are repeated multiple times. And the first one is what? Any guesses? I hear you, but I don't. What's one of them? Yes, in God's likeness, right? And created in God's image. And then, so when we have this, this first one, that we are created in God's image, and then the second one is what? <coughs> Sorry. The second phrase is so much easier. It's just that God created. So God created multiple times, and God created in God's image multiple times which means that the Bible thinks that it's a really big deal that God created us out of nothingness. And not only is it a big deal that God created us, but it's also a big deal that God created us in the image of God's self. It matters to the Bible that God created us not in the image of the earth or the sun or the birds or the livestock or the fish, but that God created us in the image of God and God alone. Which brings us to another thing that I think we need to take note of, which is that when we're dealing with God's image, it, doesn't, it turns out that we're not dealing with a singular reflection. In other words, one, one God does not result in one image. One God results in many images. Images that look like men and women and more. 
images that look different from one another. If we were to back up into verse 26, we can't miss that part of the scripture that says, let us make human beings in our likeness, right? In our image. It's not let me make human beings in my image. It's not in my likeness. Twice the scripture repeats our, in our image, in our likeness. And in the original Hebrew, the us or the our, here it refers to more than two, which makes this phrase equivalent to a few of us instead of a couple of us. How many of you have heard about that before or noticed that before? Yeah, okay, good. So it's not totally strange. How many of you have not noticed it before and are like, what is happening now? Okay. For years, Reformed theologians have offered this particular verse as scriptural evidence for God being eternally triune, three in one. And I think it's a pretty good argument. But however you dice it, The truth is that scripture is saying here that the one God that we worship is diverse and that God's image is therefore diverse. It's diverse in appearance, it's diverse in preferences, diverse in skills and talents and abilities. Just as there are multiple persons in one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, so that we are many persons in one church, many members of one body of Christ, many facets of one entity in God's vast creation. And the unity of our diversity is what creates that full image of God here on earth. So what am I trying to say? I'm saying that God is present in the darkness that God is present in the still and formless times of life, of our lives. And I'm saying that God is not only present in those times, but that God is also engaged in intentional and intense motion, particularly in those moments where it seems like God is perfectly still, motionless. It turns out that in those times, God is just hovering, hovering with us. And I'm saying that even though much of Christian culture doesn't marvel in this thing day to day to day, it's actually a really big deal that we are created by God and that of all things that God could choose to form us after, God chose to make us images of God's self because God wants us to be like God, ruling over, caring for, being good stewards of, and directing creation and all that is in it. That's a really big deal that we skate over all too quickly. Friends, one of the things that is very clear to me from the scripture passage that we have this morning is that God wants us, being made in God's image, to be creative, just like God is creative. I think it's essential and integral to who we are. God calls us to be creative in the same way that God is creative. Which is why I think that it's interesting that in my nearly 20 years of serving as a leader in the church, 
The majority of my conversations that I've had with Christians over the years have not centered on us being creative like God is creative. I have, however, had loads of conversations about how we should keep things the same. From carpet colors to service times to traditions that may have expired. Did you know that the collar that pastors wear every now and then, you know what I'm talking about, the tab, it's called a tab. Did you know that that was just standard fashion back in the 1500s? That was just like an average thing. That wasn't something special created for pastors, but for whatever reason, we decided that pastors should keep the fashion of someone from the 1500s. Does that strike you as weird? I've had to wear that collar, which means I'm dressing like a man from the 1500s, which is also a little strange, given my calling. Anyway, I have had loads of conversations about how we should either keep things the same or rather than be creative to our particular circumstances, we should just replicate what others have done. Like programs that promise to produce members in our seats or in our pews, or programs or tactics that will attract young families to our potlucks, or will lure youth to our service days. And I'm not saying that these conversations are always bad, all right? I don't think that they are always bad. It makes sense to me that people want to keep church from changing because for many people who have been going to church their whole lives, church was the one thing in their life that they could count on staying the same while the rest of the world changed drastically around them. I get it. I have compassion for that. And so sometimes these kinds of conversations make sense about keeping it the same. But more often than not, these conversations get in the way of us fulfilling that calling that is essential to our being, that we are to be in God's likeness, to be creative and caring and innovative, to look at the places where there is nothing and to imagine and to work towards something. Too often, the conversations that we occupy ourselves with in the church are conversations that keep us from hovering in creativity with God. Also, all too often, we only tend to talk about creation when we're talking about the creation of the world, when we talk about the start here in Genesis. And it can be easy for us to forget that God has continued to be creative long after the world was created around us. One of my favorite passages of scripture comes from 2 Corinthians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Even though it's the 2 Corinthians, it's actually the 4th, because 1 Corinthians is the 2nd, and the 2nd is the 4th, but that's also another time. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul says to them, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And then it says, the old is gone, the new is here, with an exclamation point. And then he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. The old is gone, the new has come, and we 
are the ones charged with making God's appeal. You see, God continues God's ongoing work of creation by creatively transforming us and changing us into representatives, ambassadors of God here on earth. God continues even now to make us into new people, peeling away from us our sins and our dishonesty and our selfishness and our pride and transforming us instead into a people of integrity and generosity and kindness and creativity. God continues to be creative even today because God is continually recreating us through Christ. And so my friends, we are called to be like God, created new from God's message and creating the world anew by sharing God's message. This is a calling and sometimes that can be a tricky word for us called, I'm not called, pastors are called, maybe someone else is called, but not the everyday Joe. We have a hard time with that word. But you know, scripture is full of stories of people who have been listening for God's silent silent presence, stories of people who in the midst of their ordinary lives were called to diverge from the status quo in both big and small ways. People like Moses, for instance, who was just a murderer who then led a nation of people into freedom. Or people like Ruth, who just did the day-to-day things that she was told in the way she was told to do them by her mother-in-law, of all people. And in the end, it turned out that she saved not only her mother-in-law's life, but her own life as well. These people who we read about in Scripture were just going about their lives as their lives were presenting to them. And in the midst of all of that living, they found themselves responding to a call from God, a call to be creative, to imagine that there was more possible in the world than their circumstances would have them believe, a call to surrender to God because all of their best made plans, no matter how well they executed them, turned out to be insufficient in bringing them life and life to the full. And my friends, we have to remember that that same calling exists for us today. God is still alive and moving today with that same intensity, with the same intentionality, with the same eagerness and the same creativity. And we know that's true because God doesn't change. And if God was hovering at the beginning, God is hovering now, which means God is hovering in our lives. And are we sensing it? In trying to help us recognize that hovering, we here at San Marino Community are calling, are going to be looking at uh, what it means to be called by God in our day-to-day lives. What it means to be called both as individuals as well as what it means to be called together as a unified body. And so each week, both here and in the traditional and classic services, we're going to be examining the life of a different person in scripture who has been called by God for a creator, larger-than-life purpose. Some of them will be people that are heroes 
And some of them will be people that are just there. But all the same, I hope that you will join us and I hope that this week you will join me in considering how we were created with the face of God in our faces. I hope that you will pause with me in reveling in the intentionality behind your creation and in remembering that we were intended for a mighty and creative purpose of transforming the world into the kingdom. If you will, join me as we pray. God, as we enter into a time of reflection, we pray that you will hover close to our faces that we will feel the energy of your presence, that our bodies will be enlivened by your spirit from the bottoms of our feet to the tops of our heads, to the extents of our fingers, that we will be invigorated by your vision for the world as you intend it to be. Sometimes we think we're too small Sometimes we think that we can get by without anyone noticing us, in particular, without you noticing us. And yet, you assure us, through your creation and through your redemption and through your transformation, that never could we escape your sight. Never could we escape your love. Never could we escape you and your calling. May we breathe in your presence now and will you speak to us in this time of silence that we might get just a glimpse of all that is to come.